How many of you are like me? You like a good hot dog. Okay, six of you. No, come on, let's be honest. Some of you are like, ah. I'm telling you what, I, I like a good dog. And here's how I like my hot dogs. I like them like that, just with mustard. I even think there's some French fries in there. That's, that's a new twist. I'm going to add that with some sauerkraut and relish. How many, come on, can I get an amen there? That, that's some good stuff right there. Now, how many of you like your hot dogs with ketchup on it? Okay, ushers, remove them from the church right now. Okay, take them out. Okay, that, that's not right in so many levels. You just, the inventor of mustard is rolling over in their grave right now. You can't put ketchup on a hot dog. So this, this, is, this is how I like, just looks good. You got the, you got sauerkraut, you got the mustard, no ketchup. Ketchup is far away as possible from that picture. How many of you um, would eat a hot dog, if it fell on a cafeteria floor and at an elementary school. I got it. Okay, that's actually a real, that's at Wayne Central, the elementary school. That's a hot dog. So does that look as appetizing? I don't know. Maybe some of you still would, but you're weird. So there's a hot dog on an elementary school floor with kids sneezing and sniffling and who knows what else going on. Uh, you wouldn't eat that. And here's the reason why you wouldn't eat that. Because now that wonderful hot dog is tainted. For the same reason you're not going to drink hopefully spoiled milk. right? Because it is tainted. So, so here's what we've been doing. We've been going through a series. Um, looking through the book of Revelation. Specifically chapters 2 and 3. It's the last book in the Bible, and it, what what happens in this book is that John the Apostle is given this revelation of what's going to happen in the future, but also he's given a revelation of what is happening now. And what we can see in chapters two and three are these seven churches, and out of those seven, five have become tainted. That there's something that has happened within the church that has caused the church to become. Tainted. We're going we're gonna to look at one of those churches today. And these were actually literal seven churches in the area of Asia Minor, which is now modern-day Turkey. And what we're going to look at today is the city of Thyatira. So I got, I've got uh, the map there for you. You can see the Aegean Sea. You can see Greece to the left there, um, Thessalonica. And then you can see modern-day Turkey or Asia Minor. And these are seven churches that Jesus specifically speaks to. Now, here's the incredible thing about Jesus speaking to these churches. Is that, and I've, and I've explained this as we've been going through the series, is that the words that Jesus gives to these churches some 2,000 years ago is just as relevant today as it was then. And I believe this is a wake-up call for the church. And I believe we need to study the words of Jesus because the same thing that has happened in some of these churches is the exact same thing that can happen in our church, Living Word, in 2018. And so we need to heed the words and understand what is going on. And so there are different things that can happen in our lives that that can cause compromise to come into our lives that can separate us from our walk with Jesus Christ. And Jesus doesn't want anything to come in the way, to come in the way of him knowing us 
in a deeper way each and every day. And so if we're not careful, we can allow compromise to come in our life. We live in a culture that we're constantly bombarded with ideas that, that are just anti-Christ or, or against the will of God. So we have to have a Christian worldview. We have to understand, how do I come against the world without, without just shouting at the world and being mad at the world? But how do I live in this world and also be a light for Jesus Christ with not allowing the world... To taint my walk with the Lord. How many of you know that's a delicate balance, right? And, and so we have to see how can I walk in this world and not completely isolate myself. What, what, what I try to do as a father with my kids as they get older now. You know, my kids are 21, 19, and 17. And so they're older now. And, you know, how many parents know when your kids are younger, when they're seven, you can just tell them what to do, you got to do, blah, 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 blah. And they listen. But when they get older, right, when they get older. Right? They, they can form their own opinions. Right? And what I try to teach my kids is this. I try to insulate them without isolating them. Insulating them with the word of God and understanding what it means to have a walk with Jesus Christ, a personal walk with Jesus Christ, without, necessar- without necessarily isolating them from the world. Because how many know we've got to live in this world? It's a reality. We've got to live in the world. And we see things in the world that are contrary to what we believe. And how do we live in this world without, without isolating ourselves from the world and not being a testimony to who, to who Jesus Christ is? And so, so here, here we go. Here we go with this church, Thyatira. Here's the issue. They're living in this world. They're working in the world. And they're constantly faced with things that are completely contrary to what they believe in Jesus Christ. So these are the words that Jesus has for this church. So let's dig into the word of God. If you've, if you've got your Bibles, I want to look at Revelation chapter 2. And we're going to specifically look at verses 18 through 28. And then I want to give you the background of this city because that, that will help uh, bring Jesus' words to light in a much clearer way. So Revelation chapter 2, you can use the Bibles in the seats there. If you don't have a Bible, that's our gift to you. You can use those. You can look at the screens. You can look at your devices. You can look at your Bibles. Whatever you got, let's look at the Word of God together to make sure that what I'm reading is what you're reading so that we're all on the same page. And everybody said, amen. Okay, so here's here's Jesus' words to the church in Thyatira. So he says in verse 18, to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. That's a pretty neat description of Jesus. And we're going to talk why he used those descriptive words to speak about himself. Verse 19, I know your deeds. That's what he says. I know your love, your faith, your servants, your perseverance, that you are now doing more than you did at first. How many say that's pretty good? That's good. That means they're growing. They're doing more than they did at first. They're, being, they're growing. But he says this about the church. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on the bed of suffering and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. 
I will strike her children dead. What Jesus means there is her disciples or those who follow her. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds. And I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching. So we say not everybody's following us, but there's, there's a certain segment within the church that are following these wayward teachings that are leading them into sin. He goes, but for the rest of you who do not hold to her teachings, you have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, and I will not impose any other burden on you. Only hold on to what you have until I come. To him who overcomes and does the will, does my will to the end, I will give the authority over the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. Now, let me just give you a little insight. This is kind of giving a little glimpse into the millennial reign of Christ. We'll talk about that in a minute. This is pretty cool stuff. He will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. And everybody says, everybody say amen to God's word. Amen to the reading of God's word. So, so what is going on here? Let, let's... A lot of stuff here. The background here at Thyatira is basically this. This was a, a very, uh, just a blue-collar, hard-working, kind of a Pittsburgh kind of a town, right? Just this hard-working, just blue-collar town. The city had many trade guilds, which are, are like our unions um, today. And, the, and, the, and these trade guilds were very, very powerful uh, and they had a lot of influence over the city. So those that were believers, many of them would have to work in these trade guilds in order to make a, a living. And, and for a follower of Jesus Christ, this actually caused a lot of problems. Uh, the trade guilds were influenced by pagan worship. And to actually be part of the guild, you would have to worship at the feet of these pagan gods, which include many, many very, very immoral things. And so Christians who refused to worship these gods would usually lose their jobs. So it, it, it was an economic reason and, it, and it, it hurt and they would lose, lose their jobs, which would cause a lot of issues for many of these followers of Jesus Christ. So, so the, the problem here is compromise did set in with some and, and some um, may have thought that it wasn't a big deal and so as this compromise set in with some, they're getting reiterated with some of this bad teaching from this so-called prophetess that Jesus calls Jezebel, where it's, it's being reinforced by someone in the church of saying, it's okay to compromise in some of these areas. And that's why Jesus has these pointed words towards the church in Thyatira in their, in their very pointed words. Um, Jesus is going to deal with it. And Jesus is telling them that they need to repent. Hey, let, me, let me throw this statement out to you right away. If you're, if you're going along with your notes, let me throw this statement right out. Compromise will cause us to justify our waywardness. Compromise. When we begin to compromise, we always will justify our way, waywardness. What do I mean by that? We'll, we'll make excuses for the reason why we're doing these things that we know don't line up with, with what God desires for us and we'll begin to justify them. So compromise will always, always 
will use to justify our waywardness. So what Jesus does is he addresses them by telling him that he is the son of God. Now what Jesus uses these descriptions of himself to juxtapose himself to what is going on in that city at that time. So let me explain why Jesus says that he's the son of God, that his eyes are like, you know, blazing flames whose feet are like burnished bronze. Why, why does Jesus use this descriptive language? Well, what he does is, is Jesus sets himself apart from the gods that they're actually worshiping. So one of those gods was Apollos, who was known as the son of God. So Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm the son of God. I'm the only son of God. So he sets himself apart from that pagan God that they worship. Even the coins at that time had Apollos on it with the inscription, son of God. So wherever you were, you were told who you were supposed to worship and, and, it, and it, it infiltrated even the places where they worked. And so Jesus uses this description of bronze. And, and this would conjure up an image of, of the bronze guild, the bronze unions, or these metal workers. Uh, and, and what they would do is they would intensify the heat um, so they could easily work with the metal. So Jesus says that my eyes are a blazing fire. And, and what Jesus is saying there is, is I will purify. I will judge what is wrong. And so this would speak to those hearers because they could understand because, okay, this makes sense to us. But Jesus, listen, I'm the one with the blazing eyes. I'm the ones with the bronze and feet. I, I, I'm, I'm the one who is the son of God. And so what did Jesus say to the church that they're doing well. Well, this is what he says about Thyatira at the beginning. He says, listen, um, they were commended for their sacrifice, their love, their patience, their, their faith. And with these good qualities, Jesus says, but here's the problem. Here's what I have against you. The problem is you're putting up with immoral people that are, that are in your church. And through their lifestyle, they're leading people astray. And through their teaching, they're leading people astray. They were kind of the opposite of the church in Ephesus that we studied a couple of weeks ago. Ephesus, if you remember, was very strong in doctrine and teaching, and they threw out any false teachers. They'd sniff out any false doctrine. But the problem is they lost their love. They lost their first love. So Thyatira was strong in love, but weak in strong teaching. The church in Ephesus didn't put up with false teaching, yet they lost love and grace. Thyatira loved much, but they put up with false teachers, which actually tainted the church or was, or, or was hurting the church and the fellowship and the purity of the church. Um, it's a great book I read by Randy Elkhorn, great, great author, he was a pastor too. Um, and he, he talks about um, the truth, it's just a small book, this truth and grace paradox. Like how do we as Christians walk this fine line between God's grace and loving people and then knowing we have to stand for the truth, right? And so Randy wrote this book on this paradox between grace and truth. Because I'll have people come up to me and they're like, yeah, Pastor, you, you know, you gotta, you, gotta, you gotta tell everybody where they're sinning, you know? If you don't tell people what they're doing wrong, right? 
And we could do it, right? We could do We could point out every sin in the book. But then if we don't show anybody God's grace and love, then what they end up turning into is moralistic Christians. Right? And But we can go to the other side where we just love people, love people, and we just kind of bat an eye to sin and what's going on. If there's no church discipline, then we can err just as much on that side. Does that make sense? So we, 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 there's, this, there's this balance. And I, I like what, what Randy says here. He says, truth-oriented Christians love studying Scripture and theology. Love the Scripture, love the truth, love theology, but sometimes are quick to judge and are slow to forgive. Grace-oriented Christians love forgiveness and freedom, but sometimes neglect Bible study and moral standard as legalism. They're strong on grace and weak on truth. So here's the thing. I like what Randy says here. He says, truth without grace breeds self-righteous legalism that poisons the church and pushes the world away from Christ. That's a good statement. But then he says, grace without truth breeds moral indifference and keeps people from seeing their need for Christ. He goes on to say, the worst thing we can do is to teach people they're good without Jesus. The fact is, God doesn't offer grace to good people any more than doctors offer life-saving surgery to healthy people. You see, grace and truth together, grace and truth together, together shows us how much we need Jesus. Tim Keller makes this great statement when he says, the gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dare believed. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. That's truth. And that's grace. And so the problem with the church in Ephesus is they were all truth and no grace. They lost their love for people. They just, you tell people the truth and that's it. You tell them where they're living, going to hell in a handbasket. I did matter, but they're not loving people. They're not developing relationships with people. They don't really care about their neighbors. They just care. They just care that they've told them the truth and that's it. But they really don't care about them. They don't love them. They don't love their soul, but they told the truth. They don't care if they offend people. They just don't care. They don't care as long as you give the truth. Okay. That's just as bad as someone not caring about sin and bringing the truth. That we can love people, love people, but how many of you know that there's this truth in the gospel that we've all fallen short of God's glory and his perfection? And, and we have to wrestle with that truth of knowing that I'm not good without Jesus. And that without Jesus and his righteousness, the word of God says, I fall short of God's glory. So I think Randy Elkhorn makes a great point by saying we can't tell people they're good without Jesus. Now, people can do, how many know people can do good things? People do great things. People can do a lot of good things. But at the end of the day, we're all born into sin and we've all fallen short of God's perfection. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came to redeem us from ourselves and to heal us and to forgive us of our sin that keeps us from knowing a holy God. And so that's the truth. And we do, and we proclaim that truth in love. So what's going on here? Well, what's going on in the church here? Let me explain what Jesus means here. Jesus says that some in the church in Thyatira didn't 
condemn the teaching of, of Jezebel. Now, which is the truth. They didn't bring the truth to this wrong teaching. So what, what does this mean? Well, we need to go to the Old Testament and understand who Jezebel was. Jezebel was a wicked queen who was married to King Ahab, who for a time ruled in northern Israel and just really led Israel astray to worship foreign gods. And she enticed Israel into idol worship. And so this Jezebel that Jesus talks about is really doing the same thing. What she's doing is she's telling those in the church how to compromise their faith and actually practice what the trade guilds are telling them to do in order for them to keep their jobs. So here's the sad part. The sad part is Jesus gave this woman time to repent as well as those who followed her, but yet they refused. And and I was thinking about about this and and how we in our own personal lives um, can tend to get deceived. How do we... Because we can look back and say, well, I would never do that. And, and, and I would never follow bad teaching or teaching that would lead to sexual immorality. And I, I would never do that because if it's just blatant, I would never do that. But, but I want you to know that I'm sure these people in the church um, were, were well-meaning. And, and I think what happens is we have to be careful that when you're listening to someone and you're hearing their teaching... That everything is grounded in in what we know about the word of God and the doctrines and the teachings in the word of God. And so what what I think can happen is someone with a great personality or a strong personality can come out and they say, man, they sound good. They sound good. And they can twist it just a little bit to make it sound good, to make it sound good. And all of a sudden, these people in the church, all of a sudden, they begin to follow this teaching that is not correct because this person's telling them that they have some secret meaning to the word of God. Let me just, can I just say this? Whenever you hear somebody that says, God's given me a secret meaning to this verse, watch out. You should be running to the hills. And I believe that's exactly what Jesus said. He said, this person's saying, oh, these secret things, but, but he goes, they were just demonic. They were satanic. They weren't from the word of God. And thank God that we have the word of God. There was, there was people that would follow Paul. They were called the Bereans. And they would, they would search the scriptures to make sure that what the apostle Paul was saying was correct. And so I want you to be studious in, 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 in your study of the word of God. I just don't want you to take what I say is gospel. I want you to be studying the word of God yourself. And so there, how do we get to that point to where we can follow unsound teaching. And I was thinking this, this same thing can happen at the church because at face value, it seems obvious. They were living in direct opposition to God's word about purity, but it starts somewhere. How do we get to the place where we accept something that is wrong and contrary to the word of God? And, and pastoring for 28 years, I have sat with people that have come to church, that have sat under the teaching of the word of God. And I, and I can show them, this is what God's word says in your, your life, that what you're living right now is in direct opposition to what the word of God says. And, and I, sitting with some that are living this way will just look at me and just say, well, doesn't God want me to be happy? I said, yeah, he does. But his great concern for you is that you live a holy life. 
Your happiness is not what gets you into heaven. It's you being separated and sanctified unto God through Christ Jesus is what makes you righteous. And I think what happens is we begin to believe our own lies and we begin to drink our own poison to the point to where we become numb to actually what the word of God says. And so I believe there's a process that we can get to this point where we become numb to God's word. And, and I believe it doesn't happen overnight. I believe it's, it's neglect. And I believe neglect is one of the greatest tools of the enemy in our spiritual life. Somebody say amen. Are you with me, 9 o'clock group here? Are, we, are you with me? How, how many of you, I went out this morning and I just started picking weeds. It took me about two seconds because we have a lot in our yard. Um, I just started picking weeds. And, and it's amazing when you start picking weeds, how many weeds are actually in your Now, if you look at this, this, this looks like a nice arugula salad with, with lettuce. Doesn't it? It looks really good. Like, just put some balsamic vinegar on this baby and you could eat it. But this is all nasty weeds. And what happens is if you're a gardener and you neglect your garden, what's going to happen? Weeds, right? Hate weeds. Weeds are Satan. They're demonic, right? They're from the curse, right? And, and so if, 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 I mean, because, I, oh, you know, I jog around our neighborhood and I can see all the nice lawns. And there's some people that just have immaculate lawns. And some people are just in their lawn, just picking out all the weeds and, and just want to make their lawn um, you know, look, look perfect because weeds are going to come from a, neg- a neglected life. And so these are weeds that I just picked this morning. My neighbor was probably wondering, what is Barden doing out in his yard in his pajamas picking weeds? I know he's got to go to church. So that's what I was doing this morning at seven o'clock in the morning, picking weeds out of my yard for this illustration. Here, here's the thing. Let's look at how we get to the place of spiritual apathy. Let's look at how we get to the place of spiritual apathy. How do we get to that place? Well, I believe there's, I'm going to go through these real quick, but I believe this is where we can get in. I believe this is what happened to the church in Thyatira. And this is why they so easily fouled these blatant, um, horrific teachings from this person within the church that was causing the church to become tainted and pull away from Jesus Christ. First of all, we, we stop repenting. Now, what do I mean by that? I don't mean beating yourself up and saying you're no good all the time. What I mean by this is we stop admitting that we are wrong and we tolerate our bad behavior even when we're confronted with it. So what repentance does is repentance shows that I have a soft heart towards God. That I'm willing to admit when I'm wrong and I'm wayward, when God speaks to my heart about something that is contrary to his will, am I quick to repent over that thing? Listen, repentance shouldn't be a yearly thing. Repentance shouldn't be a monthly thing. Repentance should be a daily thing. It should be something I'm looking at. God, man, I was driving yesterday, Lord, and that person ticked me off on the road and I had a bad attitude and I just wanted to run them off the road. And, you know, I I had that, Lord, I repent of that. That's a wrong attitude. I may have not treated it. Lord, I was gossiping. Somebody shared some juicy piece of gossip with me and I just sat there and I lapped that up like a sirloin steak. And I couldn't wait to pass it on to the next person, right? And and, and God speaks to our heart about gossip. Like, man, I... It, would I say that in front of this person if they just came up and stood in front of me? No, I wouldn't. It's gossip. 
And so it's, it's easy to do that. And those are things that God says, you need to, I mean, yeah, there are the big things in our lives, but how many know it's the little foxes that ruin the vineyard? It's the small things in our life that we allow and we think, well, I'm okay because I'm not robbing a bank. At least I didn't today. And I'm not doing all these big things. Mm-mm, it's the little things in our lives that cause our demise. The second thing is, is, is we begin to tolerate our sin. And I believe we all struggle with something in our lives. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's gossip like I talked about. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's an addiction. What, what, whatever it is, here's the issue. It's when I tolerate it and do nothing about it. That's where it gets, that's where it gets bad. Maybe you've been a Christian for a while and God is showing you something that needs to change and you just, you just tolerate it. You, 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 you entertain it. You, you don't grab it where it's at. You, you don't pull that weed up by its root. You just kind of pull the dandelion up by the head and then you, the thing just grows back two or three days later. See, it's entertaining those things. And what we can do is, when we entertain things in our lives, let's, let's, say, let's say gossip, we can entertain gossip and we can cover it by just saying, well, I, we need to pray for this person. I'm just telling you this because we need to pray. I heard that so-and-so. I heard that I saw them coming out of this place. I'm not going to tell you, but I think it was a bar. And it was late at night, but we need to pray for them. Gossip. Hidden under prayer. Are you catching it? See, these are the things that we can tolerate if we're not careful. Maybe it's forgiveness. You refuse to forgive and it's caused bitterness in your heart and you're holding it back because you want that other person to pay. You're tolerating it, which is hurting yourself. See, we will always struggle with something and and struggling is different than doing nothing about it. And so when we do something about it and we don't tolerate it, and we say, God, I need to repent of this thing. It causes our hearts to be tender and to be sensitive so we don't fall into the spiritual apathy. Number three, here's the other thing. Are we willing to sit under God's word? This is either in your own personal time, you know, or, or you know, these are things that, that I can easily draw back from. Maybe it's a Bible study or sitting under the teaching on Sunday morning in church. Whatever it is, it's... it's it's important that we come under biblical teaching. And so when, when I stop doing that, when I kind of draw back from that and I'm not feeding my own spiritual life with, with, with what God wants me to hear in his word, my heart is open to spiritual apathy. When, when we get to the point to where we feel we're above it or we don't need it, we can easily be deceived. Listen, and th- this... This is where we need to be so careful because we, we can feel like we're so, like we, we got God's doctrine down and we can be so self-righteous that we can be deceived and, and open to sin. So just because you have a lot of knowledge doesn't mean that you can't fall into spiritual apathy because we can have a bunch of knowledge and we can fall into this pride about how much I know about God's word, but I'm, I'm not repenting. And I'm hiding behind my knowledge of, look how much smarter I am than everybody else. 
or look at how I can quote scripture or look at, look at the theology that I know and understand. And we can fall into a spiritual pride that can cause us to fall into spiritual apathy because we're not looking in the mirror at our own heart. And so just because you don't follow the belief, just because you're reading the Bible every day and you think you know a lot about the Bible, that you still can't fall into spiritual apathy because the enemy can use that as a tool against us also. So, so we need to constantly be, am I under teaching? And, and not, what I, what, here, here's the thing, what I mean by under, under teaching. You're, you're submitting yourself and you're humbling yourself to listen to the word of God and how can I apply it to my life? I think every time you come to the word of God, whether it's in your own personal time, whether it's on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or an Acts group, whatever it may be, this is the way you come to it. You don't come in saying, I'm going to tell them what I know. You come into it saying, God, what are you going to show me today? God, what, what do you want to speak to my heart today? See, that's coming in with a submissive, humble attitude that, God, I want to hear from your word. That I don't have to be the person that always gives the answer, that's always talking all the time. Lord, let me come under your word. Let me submit to your word and let me hear what you have to say to me. Because I know that you can speak to my heart too. And I've shared with this before. I, I have about 25 different podcasts I listen to. There's about eight different pastors I'd love to listen to. And I listen to them because I need to hear the word of God spoken to my heart too many times. As I have my own personal Bible time and listening to other pastors. Because I want God to speak to me. I want God to speak to my heart. Because I don't want to fall in the trap that just because I give the word of God that I don't need the word of God spoken into my heart. Amen? So we, th- this is where we sit under God's word and we we submit ourselves to that. Here's the fourth thing. We stop praying. We have no personal time with God or it's basically hanging on by a thread. And any time that I talk to someone and I say that is struggling in their lives or there has to be discipline applied to their lives because of the way they're living, I always ask them, are you praying and 99.99% of the time they said, I'm not. See, what prayer does in your life, it opens your heart up to allow God to speak to your heart. It's amazing what God can do in your heart in five minutes when you lay prostrate before him and you just lay out before him and say, God, here's my life. It's amazing what God can do in your heart. Prayer changes things. Prayer changes me. It aligns me with God's will and what he desires for me. Many times we pray and we just give out the laundry list, which is okay. We should pray for our requests. But how often do we pray, God, change me? We're always praying for other people, right? God, save them. My family, they all need Jesus, right? Yes, we should be praying those prayers. But how much of our time in prayer is God, change me? You know, So many times we look at prayer because we want God to change a situation. But you know what? Maybe God wants to change you so you know how to deal with the situation. That was good right there. That was good. I should have put that in your notes, right? See, we want God to change that situation. But God says, I want to change your heart. So I'm going to show you how to deal with that situation. That's a deeper prayer. That's a dangerous prayer. I dare you to pray that way. Dare you. 
So we stop praying. Here's the last one. Here's the last one. We stop asking questions. We stop asking questions. Now, what, what, do, I, what do I mean by that? Well, I'm not talking about having a critical spirit where we complain or we're argumentative all the time about everything. What I'm talking about is discernment. Checking things out. When in doubt, check it out, right? When you have a question, like you, you hear a teacher, like, oh, how did, I just don't know if that gel, there's something, you know, this is where you begin to ask questions. And I think what happened with the church in Thyatira, because they were such a, a loving church, which is a good quality, Jesus said, when these bad teachings came in from this so-called prophetess who said, I'm from God and I have these deep teachings from God and you list, need to listen to me, because of their love, they said, well, we need to love this person and maybe they're fine and maybe, and, and they weren't asking questions. They're saying, does this really line up with what God's word has to say about holy living? And so they simply believed the teachings without asking questions. And they probably thought she must be getting some deeper insight that we don't know about. Yet it was being, yet her teaching was completely contradicting what the word of God said. So this, this is what I would tell you. Be careful. Just be careful when someone says God told me. Just be careful. Um, God gave me a special revelation or insight that is extra biblical. Be careful. Be discerning. And make sure the word, the word of God is your guide, not someone's feelings. And I would encourage you as your pastor to be discerning in this way. The Holy Spirit is a gift that God has given us. And part of the gifting of the Holy Spirit is discernment. And here's, why I, uh, here's where I would encourage you to be proactive with your, you know, with your walk with God. And just know that if I'm idle... If I'm idle, weeds are going to grow in my life. If, if I'm idle, weeds are going to grow. And, and in these five things, am, am I proactive in what God desires me to do? So let me, let me just finish the message this way. Because this is, this, is, this is my heart for you. Because I, I feel so many times that we're just lackadaisical in our walk with God and God has given us so much that we can grow in him and experience his joy and experience his freedom. But we just, we, we, we can all just kind of get lazy, can't we? And just kind of put it into cruise control. And, and I believe this church was a good church and a loving church, but yet they just got lazy in the way they were approaching the word of God which caused them to, to fall prey to bad teaching. And so listen, if you have a question about a book or something like, hey, pastor, here's a popular book. What do you think? I'm going to give you my, I'm going to try my best to keep up on everything that's out there. But I will give you my honest opinion. And some of you have asked me about some books. And I'll tell you, here's my honest opinion about it. And you may not like it, but as your pastor, I care about you. And I'm going to give you my honest opinion about what I may think about that. And where I'm going to caution you to be careful. Because just because something is popular doesn't make it biblical. So let's be careful. This woman was very popular. Her teaching was very accepted, but it was causing people in the church in Thyatira to actually sin against the Lord. And Jesus says, I'm going to judge you for that and those that follow her. 
So here's how I would encourage you. I would encourage you to set a course for change. And, and so how does, that, how does that look? Practically, how does that look? What does the next step look like for you? Maybe, maybe it's getting plugged into a small group. Maybe it's being consistent with your church attendance, consistent with my Bible reading. Maybe, you know, maybe there's something in your life that you know you're tolerating that God has been speaking to you about. And God said, I want this thing is going to hurt you. And I want you to lay that thing down at my feet. I love how Jesus ends this whole thing because he kind of goes back. He goes, for those that follow my will to the end, for those that repent, for those who follow me, I will give you the morning star. Well, that's, that's kind of, a, what, what, is, what is that? What does that mean? So here's what I love about how Jesus finishes this whole thing. He, he's not coming just to correct the church and beat the church up and say, okay, there's my judgment, blazing fire, you know, you're all doomed. He says, no, I love you so much. And I know that you're going through persecution. I know it's not easy living in the culture that you live in, but I love you so much that if you come back to me, I'm going to give you something very, very precious. And he talks about the morning star. Now, the interesting thing about the morning star, sometimes, not often, I jog very early in the morning, like five o'clock in the morning. And during the, like June, it's great because the sun's coming up, but now it's like pitch black and I feel like a wolf's going to attack me. I'm just so paranoid. I'm looking around and any noise I hear, I feel like I'm going to get ambushed by a kitty cat or a stray dog or a wolf. But anyways, but sometimes I run and it is the most beautiful thing to see the sun before it comes up in the sky. And what you see, which is amazing, is you see the morning star, whether it's Sirius, the star, or it's Venus. I mean, it is just bright. Well, at that time, it's the darkest and the coldest time of the day. And here's what Jesus is saying to them. During the darkest and coldest time, I'm going to give you me. I'm the bright and morning star. Here's here's the thing that I can say to you. Um, I may not be able to impart great words of wisdom to you. I may not be able to give you the perfect book to read. I may not be able to give you wisdom on how you can gain help out of your situation. But here's the thing that I can give you, and that's Jesus. Jesus says, with everything you're going through, the very one thing that you will receive at the end is me. Is me. You see, compromise causes us to lose vision of the bright and morning star. Because many times in our darkness, we don't look to Christ. We look to our circumstances. We look to what we're going through and it suffocates us and it blinds us. But Jesus says, even in the most darkest time, the coldest time, I am there. Look to me. I will give you me in those times. So in your loneliest times, when you feel all alone, Jesus says, I give you the bright and morning star. The bright and morning star.
I'm there for you. And so I want to encourage you today in your walk with the Lord and the things that you're struggling with, you come to Christ and you lay those things at his feet today. And so, so what I want to do for, for you today, I want to, I want to pray for you before I, I let you go today. And, and I want you just to, as we pray, just to look into your own heart and life and just say, God, you know, out of those five things, out of those five things, is there any one of those things that are lacking in my life? And God, give me the spiritual aptitude to, to know what I need to do so I can follow that, so I don't fall into spiritual aptitude, which every single one of us can if we're not careful and we're not being proactive. And so let's just examine our lives today. You know, self-examination is a good thing to examine our hearts constantly so that we don't fall prey to whether it's bad teaching or, or to compromise with things in the world that we're steadfast in what Christ has called us to. Amen? So would you stand with me? And I want to pray for you today. And let's believe what God's going to do in our heart today. Amen. So let me pray for you today. Father God, we just come before you today and I thank you that you are that bright morning star. And I don't know what anyone is going through here today. You do though, Jesus. You know specifically what they're struggling with. What areas maybe that we've compromised in. I thank you, Jesus, that you call us back to you. And I pray that out of those five things, if there's one of those that, or maybe two or three that we're struggling with, Lord, that we would take proactive steps forward to lay those things at your feet because you're desiring for us to come. And what you promise is that we will rule and reign with you. That you call us worthy. So, Lord, I just pray that you would give us a discerning heart as we live in this world. That our hearts would be tender towards you. That we wouldn't look at repentance as just something we have to do. It's just our religious exercise that we go through. But it would mean something in our hearts. That we want our hearts to be tender towards you. That when our behavior is unbecoming of you, your Holy Spirit would convict us when our attitudes are unbecoming of you, you would convict us that, that we would be sorry, that, that God, we would apologize to other people, people in the world, Lord, that God, you would humble us. And so Lord, we thank you for your patience with us here today. Thank you for your word to this church because it's a word that we need to hear today. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us, that you've given us everything we need to live a victorious life for you. So Lord, help us just to follow you and to know you. And so I just pray for your people today that they would be steadfast in the things that they need to be steadfast in. We thank you for your word today. Thank you for the truth that it brings to our hearts. And thank you for your love and what you did for us. We love you. We thank you. And we just ask all these things. And all God's children said, Amen.